Well, good morning, church. If I haven't met you before, my name is Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. And it's a joy to be with you this morning to open up God's word to Mark chapter three. We're gonna be turning to verse seven as we continue this story in the gospel of Mark, getting to know uh, the gospel, getting to know Jesus Christ through the eyes of John Mark and uh, what he recorded about the life of Christ. And you know, as I, as I read the passage that we're studying today, it got me thinking about a question I think that we all have uh, and you know you can go back to the deepest level, and sometimes we wonder, Lord, what is my purpose? You know, why did you make me? What is unique about who I am, and why am I here on this earth? And we are going to see so clearly uh, in this story that Jesus knew exactly who He was, and because He knew who He was. He was persecuted by the evil one who wanted to try to thwart his purpose. But because Jesus is God and he knew his purpose, he not only was able to fulfill that purpose, but he was able to call others alongside him so that they would see who God made them to be and their purpose in him. And that's what we're gonna see as we open up uh, the Gospel of Mark. So I wanna invite you to turn with me. You can read along in your Bibles. I'm gonna have the verses on the screen. I'm gonna read through the passage one time so we kinda orient ourselves to it. And then we're gonna go verse by verse and, and take a look at what it says here. So it says Mark chapter three, verse seven. A great crowd follows Jesus. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Verse 13 says, and he went up, to the mount, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired and they came to him and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and they have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is the sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. This is God's word to us. Now, now I paused not to make a joke when I first came up because I looked out and I saw that we're even more crowded this morning at the 10 a.m. service. And I'm thinking some of you guys came a little bit early to hear God's word because the Cowboys happen to be playing at noon. And that's okay because 
God still has a word for you this morning that you're here early. And so it's a blessing that we're all together in this service uh, and, and we get to listen to this word. So let's go verse by verse. And I wanna encourage you as we do to know that the Holy Spirit is with us and wants to guide us into his love and guide us into his truth. So going back to verse seven, you know, it said that Jesus withdrew to the disciples to the sea and that a great crowd followed. Uh, this sea that he withdrew to was the Sea of Galilee. And it says that people were coming from many different places, uh, that people were coming from the west, from Galilee. People were coming from the south, from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea. Idumea was where the Edomites had lived, Esau. And where Jesus was at this moment, geographically, in, in uh, the Sea of Galilee was a very lush land, and Jerusalem was to the south, uh, and you know that is where the city of God is, uh, and it, that geography was much more like a desert. So we could say, we might compare that to Laredo. People from Laredo were coming up to where God was, God's chosen people living in a desert. Uh, but he's up in a lush tropical area of Galilee at the time. And people were coming as well from the east, from the De Decapolis, from Greek cities. We might think of that like New York City today or the places that were more advanced. They were coming from over there. And people were coming from the north, from Tyre and Sidon. We might think of that like Las Vegas, where it was known as a place of wickedness. But people were coming from every direction, geographically very different, Greek cities and advanced cities, and desert and lush and different areas, and they were all coming to where Jesus was. But why was it that Jesus had withdrawn? It tells us right in the beginning that Jesus withdrew from where he was uh, with the disciples to the sea. And if you were here last week, you got to hear Pastor Eddie's sermon talking about what's happening uh, right leading up to this. And if you haven't had a chance to hear it, I really encourage you to go back. Uh, it was an excellent message, and there's a lot there to, to see and understand about the Lord. But he was withdrawing because the Pharisees and the Herodians wanted to kill him. In short, he had healed a man on the Sabbath, and they were persecuting it, him for it, saying that he broke the law. And Jesus didn't break any law. He was doing what was right and good. And what Jesus unveiled was how wicked the hearts of the leaders and the religious leaders uh, of his day were. They had wicked hearts. And he called them on their hypocrisy. And as soon as he called them on their hypocrisy, they began to plot how to kill him. They wanted to destroy him. And we knew this was weird because the Pharisees and the Herodians usually were not on the same side. They usually were not working together. And they were coming together to try to destroy Jesus because they were, he was calling them on what was in their heart. And his disciples were with him because at this point, they would have been under persecution as well. They were associating with Jesus. They were with Jesus. They were constantly with him. And they stood in his breach of the religious leaders, and they had to withdraw to save their lives as well. And so, you know, as we go through these passages, I want to pause along the way as we're uncovering what's happening and just ponder what these things might mean for us today. And, you know, the first point that I think we need to ponder as God's church is we see in the scripture, going back to last week and seeing what's happening, Jesus is fleeing for his life. He has 
to run away because he knew that it was not his time to give his life yet and they were after him and they wanted to kill him and his mission wasn't done yet and they were persecuting him for exposing what was wrong. And do we believe as God's church today, as Christians today, that Jesus is no longer going to be persecuted in this world? That everyone loves the name of Jesus or that we are not going to experience some mistreatment or persecution? I know I have moments in my life where I'll, I'll walk into a certain place uh, and I can just tell, you know, kind of dark vibes. And it was, it's obvious from the signs they have on the wall or, or different things that are happening that you can just kind of tell that, okay, this is not a place filled with God's spirit or, or people that are loving God. There's people that are antagonistic towards God and hate him. And it, it hurts me to know that, that that is some of what's in the world, but it is the reality of what's in the world. And I want us to think about what our expectations are for life as believers today. Are we expecting that as we go to work, as we go to school, as we go to stores, as we go out, that it will be easy and we will be accepted and everyone will love Jesus? Are we expecting that there will be some mistreatment, some animosity, some persecution? I think we know the answer that we should expect those things. Now, I do want to caution us a little bit. I think some Christians have taken this too far to an extreme and, you know, politicized it. And every single time we see something wrong, we're, we're trying to declare how everything's wrong in the world. And it's like, uh, yeah, I think we should know that as believers, that this world is far from God. And our, our battle is a spiritual one. And we, we're not here to call people out and be ugly to them. We need to stand firm in truth stand firm in who God's called us to be, and then show the love of God to others. But we certainly know that like Jesus, we are going to face persecution. You know, it continues on here uh, in verse nine, and it says, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowds in case they would crush him. For he had healed many, so all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. Mark is the only gospel that records this boat that was sitting by, this getaway boat, ready for Jesus because so many people had flocked. Jesus knew he needed to be, have an exit plan. He needed to have an escape plan. Uh, you know, he, he was the show of the day. Everybody was flocking and uh, everybody wanted to come upon him uh, and to touch him, to be healed. And we know this because Mark had spent a lot of time with the apostle Peter, and Mark probably never met Jesus in his life. He may have, but he probably never did, but he had spent uh, much time with Peter, who had spent time with Jesus, and he was writing this gospel we know in around 60 or 70 AD, and he was recording all of these eyewitness accounts to the truth and the story of Christ. And so this, this detail is recorded, and People were surrounding Jesus so much they needed to have a boat ready to get away because they had observed that he had healing power and they wanted to touch him. And it seems as though the people had little interest in the spiritual healing that Jesus was offering, but they had great interest in the physical benefits like Isaiah was sharing earlier, that 
Jesus was offering. And they were wanting to reach out and touch him because they knew they could receive some healing in their body. And God graciously was doing this. Jesus was graciously doing this, showing his love and his power. You know, and I was thinking about this as the church, you know, today even, we are very concerned with the body. Often in our community groups when we meet throughout the week, most of the biggest prayer requests that we're praying about in our groups are because of health issues of loved ones that we care about in our group. And we're taking those things to the Lord. I remember a few months ago when I received news that one of my beloved brothers in the church, Fred Dickey, had become ill. I was praying and praying and praying like I hadn't prayed before for somebody because I wanted God to restore him. I wanted God to restore him. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed because we're very focused on the body. And ultimately God did restore him because he's in heaven now, smiling down on us with Jesus and he's not worried about a thing. But you know, it's interesting, you look at society today, one of the highest paid professions in the world and especially in America is uh, medicine and doctors because we prioritize the body. And you know what uh, the second least uh, highest paid profession in the world is, or in, in our country, I should say, is education. We don't nearly value education as much. And the least paid profession is that of ministry uh, in the church. And it tells you that the market puts a premium on our bodies, but it doesn't put a premium on education. And it doesn't put a premium on our soul. And so I think we have to ask ourselves this question as well today is what is it that we're prioritizing? We should pay attention to this, that our priorities might be aligned with what Christ's mind and Christ's priority is. Because while our body is so valuable, what's more important in the long run? Our soul. And so I want to kind of be still for a moment and just ponder this, because I know it's very important for us to be prioritizing the things, uh, the, way, the way that we live in this world. We need to care for our bodies. We need to manage our finances. We need to manage our homes. Uh, there's so many things that are very important, and we honor God in doing those things. But are you anything like me, church, that those things press so much against us at times, the busyness of those labors? that our soul is getting lost and is drowning. I think Jesus said something along the lines of what does it profit a man to gain the entire world and lose his soul? And there is a great enemy against all of us that wants us to be so busy, focused on the aches and pains and problems of our bodies and problems in this world and provisions that we need to take care of that we're forgetting to be still with the Lord and care for our soul. So in church, I wanna encourage you to take those moments as we are gonna see that our savior did. Verse 11 and 12, it says, and whenever the unclean spirits saw Jesus, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. 
demon-possessed people were following Jesus around, trying to thwart his plan, of course, because of the evil one. And we see that Jesus is progressively disclosing his identity and mission. He didn't want this to distract from his preaching. He didn't want this to distract from the time that he still needed with his disciples. And so he's telling them to stop so that he has more time. Because if everyone knew already he is uh, the Messiah, you know, they would have flocked to him. And he's progressively revealing who he is to the world on his time on earth. And it's interesting as you think about demons even in this story. You know, we will be persecuted as Christians because we think differently than the world. And do we believe in demons? Uh, you know, it's this time of year when you see all these ghosts and setups all over the place. And my wife and I are constantly teaching our boys about uh, truth about these things and what's right and what's wrong, what the Bible says. And do we believe in them as Christians? Yes, absolutely we do because the Bible tells us that they are real. But we tend to go to extremes with demons. Either we go to one extreme where we think that every single problem that we encounter in life is because of some sort of demon. We're pulling in uh, to HEB to get a parking spot and someone has their lights on in the car and we're thinking they're pulling out and they sit there and they sit there and they sit there and we're thinking, Satan's out to get me today. He's just, he's sorting my day, he's sorting my plan. Then we get in the store and someone has 25 items in the 15 item line and we're thinking Satan is working against me. How is this happening? We, we, we think there's a demon behind every tree trying to bring us down and we over demonize everything. Or on the other side, we do not acknowledge at all the spiritual warfare that is around us, that is very real. And uh, I think what, the important thing for us to know about demons is that Jesus has defeated them. We don't fight them to try to gain victory, but we fight them from a place of victory. Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, he has defeated death, he has defeated Satan. And so we can say, I command you to leave in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And as Christians, we have his Holy Spirit in us and they have no power, no control over us. We have no fear. Now, at the same time, they're not something to play around with and trifle with and delve into uh, because we're not, that is not what God has set our purpose for. We're, our purpose is to be set apart unto him. So we continue on here in verse 13, and it says, and he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to them those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So we see here right in the beginning that Jesus was doing ministry. Everyone was coming to him in a way he was greatly successful, but, but people weren't coming for what he wanted them to come for. He's trying to teach them. And what does Jesus do again? He withdraws and he gets away. Why? Because he prioritized his spiritual connection to his heavenly father, his soul, who he was in his being. We know that uh, this similar story comes out in other gospels and Luke chapter six tells us that he went up to this mountain and it says that he prayed all night. 
before calling these disciples to himself, he spent time just listening to his father, talking to his father. He was intimate with his heavenly father. Why? Because being with our father motivates us and encourages us to share his truth. And it says then that Jesus, after spending time with the father, he called those whom he wanted and they came to him and he named them his apostles. Apostles meant that they were his official representatives or sent ones. And we're gonna see in a bit here that these apostles were special in what they represented to us and to Israel. Uh, and we see them throughout the Bible, their significance, these 12 men that God called to himself. And he called them that they might be with him and that they might go out to teach, to preach and have authority over spiritual matters. And we see here that, that he called them to associate with him before they were commissioned. Their association preceded going out on mission. And it's something that, again, we need to sit and ponder that really the Christian life, so much of it is about being with Jesus. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Now, it didn't mean that these men were doing nothing because in fact, this word appointed right here in these verses is a very tricky word to translate uh, into English. And it really means something like, you know, when a doctor in a practice, uh, for example, I went to see Dr. Blanco, my physician recently, and I just needed a TB test so that uh, I was safe to go into the school where my son goes, right? Uh, so I wasn't a danger to children. They said, all right, you're safe. You don't have any diseases, sir. And I didn't go see him. I just went into the clinic and one of uh, the trained medical workers did the test. I came back three days later, they said, you're good. And, and oftentimes in a practice, uh, you know, a senior doctor will have many people that are doing different things and they're given tasks. Or if you think of it like the president, our president names many people to his office and they run our you know, economy and they run our foreign relations and there's different appointments. And this is exactly what Jesus was doing with his disciples. He was calling them to be with him, but he was giving them things to do, tasks to do. And so they were, they were task-oriented, but he just wanted them to be with him, to see the way that he did things, to see his heart, to see his posture, to see his way of life. And it's important, I think, that we sit here and realize that these men were chosen by God to be with him, to be about his work, to have his heart for this world. The same way that God called those 12 disciples, he sent them out to preach. Preach what? The good news. That though we are far from God and our sins are many, that Christ has died for us. And I wanna pause here today and I simply want to invite you, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your savior, to receive him. Maybe for a while, God's been working on you to build that trust because when we receive Jesus Christ as savior, it's nothing forced, it's nothing artificial, it's nothing that someone else can do to us. And it's, and it's not even our own choosing of God, it's that he has chosen us and he's working in us so that we might choose him. And we see that he loves us, that we see that he's real, but there comes that moment where we say, I, I, I do, I believe, I believe that you're my father. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you love me. 
And there comes that moment in our life, and, and I know that there's some of you today that maybe you've been in church or you've been seeking God for a while and you've just never made it official. Jesus made it official because his time was drawing to an end. Hey, you are my disciples. And maybe today is a day for you to make it official to say, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I want to follow you. I believe what you say is true. Teach me your way. And I think it's so cool here too that we can emulate in Jesus is not just to know that we're chosen by him, but that as his chosen, we are called to go out and choose as well. Now we don't choose who will know God. We don't choose who will come to salvation, but we see that Jesus wasn't passive. He initiated names of people, names of people that he was calling to himself that he might show who God the Father was. And what I've known from all my time in the church is that God still works today the same way in all of us, that God has put people, names on your heart. Right now, if you sit and think of people in your family, people you work with, neighbors that you care about, and you know in a way that someone else in this church just doesn't know, and doesn't care about, and it doesn't mean that they're not important. It means that God has placed you in their life that you might initiate. I'm not gonna name some of those names in my own life today, but I'm, I'm even, I'm just chuckling because you know, there's one person that is on my heart and, and they just, you know, yesterday, a couple days ago, they texted me by accident and like randomly, they just keep popping up, popping up. I'm like, it's no coincidence that this person keeps popping up. It's God's reminder of like, when's the last time you spent time with this individual? Because you know that in this season, this is someone that God's put on your heart. You have to find time. Because if we don't make time for those people, the world will take it away. And there is nothing more important and precious in this world than people. You know, when I initiate with my boys, they get so excited. A two and a half year old and a four and a half year old. And sometimes there'll be things where I'm just teaching them about life and I'll pull them close and I'll get down on their level and I'll say something like, boys. And, I'll, and you can just see their eyes light up as they can't wait to see like what I'm gonna tell them or what I'm gonna teach them. And you know, sometimes we're just talking about stuff out in the woods, you know, that there's bears and whatever. And then they think it's so cool, right? Guys, we never outgrow that. I promise you there is someone in your life right now that if you would just pull close and say, hey, God's put you on my heart. I want, you know, I want to tell you some things. Someone's going to perk up and listen. Why? Because God has made you for that. God has made you for that. Verse 16, it says, he appointed the 12, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, the sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus' choice of these 12 was deliberate and calculated. Why? Israel had 12 tribes. 12 tribes, and it reveals that Jesus of Nazareth was bringing restoration to Israel. And these 12 men were so different from one another. Four fishermen, Simon and his brother Andrew, James and his brother John, two sets of fishermen, common men. 
We don't know too much about Philip or Bartholomew or Thomas or Thaddeus uh, in the book Gospel of Mark anyway. There's not much mention of them in Mark other than here. We do know that as you look in other testaments like Luke and in Acts, Thaddeus is also named Judas. You see that all the names are the same, then you get, uh, and it says instead of Thaddeus, Judas. Probably he was also named Thaddeus, and they're using the name Thaddeus to not confuse him with Judas the betrayer, Judas Iscariot. We also hear about Matthew, the tax collector, and James and Simon the zealot, and Judas who would betray Jesus. And nothing in this was a coincidence. God was in control. His selection of Judas was not a mistake or a blunder. It was a deliberate choice to help him fulfill his task, that which he came to give his life for us. And he was fully in control, even of his own death, knowing that he knew this man who would spend so much time with him would betray him and hand him over to the Jews and the Roman leadership to have him crucified. Four fishermen, a hated tax collector, a member of a radical political party. Six of them, we don't know much, but we do know one thing. They were all laymen. They weren't educated. They weren't prominent in society. And Jesus proved a point. We, we know that it is important to pass on a strong education and whatever inheritance it is we have, we hope to pass it on to our families. And again, these things are of merit in this world. They're good. God puts them in our heart. But Jesus says, you know what trumps all of that? You know, it's more important than money and education and position and any of that. The most important thing is me. I come first, knowing me. I'm the only way to heaven. I am the son of God. And all they needed to set this revolution that has changed the world to build the church upon this earth was to know Jesus Christ. And they were qualified. And we know that one day, Jesus is coming back to also restore completely Jerusalem, completely. We know crazy things are happening and, and, and there's fighting today and, and, and wars, but one day, every nation, including Israel, there will be peace and restoration and nations who will not fight anymore. And Jesus is coming back. And we see that same diversity here in this church that makes this place special, that we all have that mission. So what do we know, church? We know that this world persecuted Jesus and it's going to persecute us and that we have a body. And the older we get, the more we realize it's not gonna last forever. I wish it was, but it's not. But what's way more important than our body is our soul. And what are we choosing to do with our soul and who have we entrusted it to and where are we prioritizing our time and our energy and our finances? Is it just in our body and, our, and, and this world or is it in God's priorities and in our soul and in his church and in his kingdom and his work in this world? Because he will provide. He'll provide all that we need for that. And we also know that God has chosen those he loves, he's loved, he's chosen us to be with him. We might know him and make him known and go out to teach others about him. So I want you to think this week, church, about being known by God. Some of you maybe received him for the first time, acknowledged it today, and know that you are known by him and to seek him 
and for us as a church to have courage to go out into the darkness and be a light as his disciples, naming names and sharing the love of God with others, no matter what persecution may come our way. Would you pray with me, church? Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this gospel. We thank you that it makes life so clear. There's not a better book that could possibly be written in the world. It is the number one bestseller because we know that nothing compares to your word. There is no human wisdom that trumps it. We thank you for the reminder today, God, that as Christians, that we will face persecution, but that God, all we need is to be with you and you renew us and you make us new and you send us out as disciples to make you known. Lord, reveal to us the people that you're calling unto yourself and we might go and be with them as well this week as we spend time with you too. We pray these things in your name and everybody at Grace said, amen and amen. Let's continue to worship church. Love y'all.